Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. It's the week that Ian Foster has to start making good on being kept in charge, so there's going to be lots of talk about that in the show, about which team should play, how they should approach the Springboks, what could change, and also what could change from the Springboks. In studio as ever... James Parsons, and in Japan, for the first time, Bryn Hall from the Yamaha Blue Revs. Welcome, mm, Bryn. Konnichiwa. <laughs> konnichiwa, boys. Uh, it's definitely uh, good, to, good to see some familiar faces. It's, um, it's pretty hot over here. I think 34, 35 degrees is where we are training at the moment. So, um, But now it's great to touch down in Japan, and um, it's been a great start for the last couple of days that I've been here. They're working you hard. Yep, transitioning would probably be the word that I'd use. Um, yeah, it's a very long running and, um, yeah, just probably more so the weather. The weather's just really hot even and humid, so we're pretty lucky that we train in the morning. We get the whole um, morning and afternoon off, and then we come in later in the evening, so um, there has been a, a, a bit of spare time, which has been quite nice. So uh, get my car tomorrow, so it's all go, fellas. It's all going moving forward now. Mate, if you're saying the running's tough, Everyone else must be absolutely out on their feet because I've never seen you struggle in a running session ever. Oh, I think it's just the the, the type of running it is. It's not like, you know, I'm used to like high intensity MAS kind of, you know, training, but, um, you know, it's more so just, I think I haven't, we did a 45 minute just running the, the laps of the field um, for, for the end of the session on the Friday. And I haven't done that kind of stuff since I was, you know, since like 2021. Mate, that's it. And even Wally Rifle, you know, back in our day, Jip, yeah. Wally Rifle kind of training. So, um, but no, look, my body, my body will get used to it, mate. And, um, you know, it's all good. These boys are really good and uh, trainers have been awesome. And more so the players as well. They've been uh, very, very welcoming. Welcoming, sorry. You're going to come home built like Terry Wright. I'm going to be weighing about 83 kgs, I think. <laughs> um, of, I think we did it. We just did a warm-up session and my whole, my whole shoot was just dripped in sweat. So uh, probably going to lose a couple of kgs. So, but that's pretty good. It's going to be fast running footy over here. So, yeah, I'll get used to it. No, any... I probably have some abs like Jip. I, I have some abs like um, like Jip in the summer. I'm pleased so that's to what, hear. That's what I, I'm, going for. I, I'm pleased to hear they're making you earn your money, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely are. What uh, about the Japanese snacks? Have you got into the convenience stores and found a favourite Kit Kat or anything along those lines? Um, there's a lot of Seven Elevens here. You can pretty much get anything in a Seven Eleven, whether it be um, any type of food like. You can just get a, a meal that can be hot, that can be microwaved for you there. You can get your bills done there. You can actually get alcohol as well. There's apparently there's a couple of um, um, ones that I need to try, but uh, that'll be at a later <laughs> date. But yeah, you, we have to. Um, there's just so many things here, so uh, the people are really nice, and 
Um, I've just been saying arigato gozaimasu a lot over here, so nodding my head. So, um, but yeah, I'll continue to figure that out um, the longer that I'm here. I put on at least 4kg during the 2019 World Cup from 7-Elevens. Just. And, and another store called Lawson's. As Sounds well. like he could do with yeah, that diet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you just need karaage chicken yeah. and a bunch of Asahi blacks, and that'll get you through, no problem at all. That's why I did the 2019 World Cup. Beautiful. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've got a few things to nice. talk about that um, aren't convenience stores and uh, you being run into the <laughs> ground. And that's Ian Foster, who in a way has been run into the ground in recent times by the media and a lot of criticism. Obviously, the Rugby Championship opens up. They start in a very tough fashion with two away games in Mbombela and Johannesburg against South Africa, starting with you, Jipper. What is the minimum expectation for the All Blacks going into these two games? Well, I think it would be um, crazy for us to drop our standards and expectation and our expectation as All Blacks, All Blacks fans and anyone involved um, with that team is, is 100%. Um, we don't always achieve it, but that's what makes us continuing to be best. So uh, I think that should still be the, the common goal, and I have no doubt for the playing group and management group, that's what they're sending out to achieve. Is that realistic? Hard to say, but um, it, would be a, it would be a quick turnaround. But I think if there's an adjustment, and, and listening to Jace Ryan during the week, we sort of spoke about it um, last week, is stripping it back and, and probably you know, less is more. Um, and, and some freshening up um, of players. You know, there's always this thing, like, I don't know if you think this, Bryn, but when a new coach comes in or you come back from a major injury, normally your first few performances are like, you're, you're sort of nine out of tens um, because, you know, you, you're on edge and, and you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. So there could be an element of that to plan into it, and, and I have no doubt they won't be overloading them um, so they can just get out there and play. I, I personally... And maybe, you know, everyone laughs at me always that I'm optimistic, but um, it will be a massive challenge. Always hard to go to South Africa and win, but my belief is we can do it. So, Bryn, considering the All Blacks' form against Ireland, the fact they're in South Africa, is two from two a realistic expectation for them to come home with? Um, I think like what, what Jip said, the expectation for us, um, it shouldn't change. I think any time you put on the All Black jersey, your expectations are to win because, you know, we're just so used to having that high standard. So, um, But I guess for me, it's been able to see the improvements that we saw in that Irish series that we didn't see, um, you know, whether that be through you know, the physicality at the breakdown, which is going to be crucial, you know, your line-out set piece more, which the Irish will be able to get to us and be able to score tries in that, um, in that third test match. So for me, I think... You know, you'd love for us to win the two test matches, but for me personally, it's been able to see um, the improvements in our game um, and seeing the, the progression through the rugby championship. And look, I know there's going to be a review after the two the two games um, with whatever that is, but you'd like to think they're probably um, Ian Foster and that coaching group through the change that they've had from the Irish series. They're going to be there, uh, but for me, it's just seen improvements in the games where we probably didn't get that right in the Irish and that Northern Hemisphere style. So whether that be with our attack physicality at the breakdown efficiency getting that and then even our kicking game as well so if we just see slow improvements around our game um, then look for me personally um, that's all I want to see moving forward in the rugby championship just before you jump in there Jip because I can see you just getting ready to jump in that's what the expectations are from an All Blacks point of view how many games do you think they're going to win in South Africa for you it's hard it's it's hard to say come on mate I think they go I think they go 2-0 to be honest and the reason why I say that is there a different style to what they've been playing against the Irish. And this is nothing, 
no disrespect to the South Africans. Look, um, we know that physicality was if we don't get that right, you know, we're going to we'll lose test, we'll lose those two test matches. So, you know, if we can win the physicality breakdown and be efficient at that breakdown, then it gives us the best opportunity to attack like we should be and how we do in the past. But just the attacking side, I think defensively, we're going to be able to put more pressure on the South Africans just due to the fact that they don't, they don't play a lot. They don't play a lot as the Irish and they aren't going to ask as much questions defensively um, with how the Irish were because like, they were just ruthless and being able to anim- have so much animation for long periods of times in their face play attack when ball was in play. Um, I just think it's going to be a little bit different. So um, I'm going to go 2-0. Look, I'm, you know, I'm going to back the All Blacks, but um, they've got to get a few things right and the things that I've touched on are going to be really, really important. Couple of Patriots, mate. That's very bold. It's a bold call. And you're making the same bold call? Yeah, I, I just said that's my expectation. That's that's what I expect. Um, I, same as Bryn, like the it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, but to my points earlier, is if it's stripped back and they declutter and there's a little bit of freshness, which we've already seen, like new coaches bring a lot of freshness, but they also bring a lot of edge because you don't know if you're going to be picked or not. Um, that can bring the best out of people. And, and I think, you know, knowing that leadership group, they'll be wanting to make a statement as well. Um, yeah, it is bold. I'd say the South Africans are favourites in terms of, um, you know, betting agencies. Um, but, you know... Pressure makes diamonds. <laughs> so, are you going to walk down to the tab and put a bit of money on 2 0? I'm not allowed, but you know, if I was, yeah. uh, you'd have to jump on. We'll put the house on it. Um, the South African comments in the YouTube sections are also always interesting. Oh, they'll, they'll rip both of us to bits. You guys, uh, it's, not the, it's <laughs> not the first time. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. <laughs> well, that, uh, that is, I think. No, sorry, sorry, just, go on. just on that, Ross, like, yeah, we're back, I'm back in the All Blacks around, you know, with you know, what, what they can do. And so, but, you know, the South Africans, you know, if they play to their DNA, which it is, which they put pressure on us last year in, in the test matches, you know, whether it be through their, their line out more. Um, the kicking game, I think, is going to be really important. And whether they go with Fuff the Clerk or they go with Hendrickson, um, you know, that could be a little bit different because we know that Fuff the Clerk's proven he's got a great kicking game. And when he's kicking well with Hondre Pollard, um, it's their DNA and be able to do that. So, you know, if, if I'm the All Blacks, that's probably one guy that I'm going to put a lot of, a lot of pressure on, um, Hendrickson. You know, that's not to say he's played really well and, he, and he's deserving of his position starting, but um, he's not proven. And so if I'm the All Blacks and you want to put pressure on a kicking game, um, that's where one I'd be targeting around that area. So Stephen Donald agrees with Bryn on targeting the kick strategy of South Africa. Why is it so relevant for you? Well, I think it is relevant for when South Africa win games, they nail their, their, their kick strategy in terms of their contestors, getting balls back or forcing errors and you know, being able to work their way down the field into that mall zone um, and putting teams under pressure to a style of play they want to play to. And it, and it is definitely a key area to attack. But like I mentioned before, just listening to Jace Ryan's comments, um, you know, he really wants to simplify things for this all-black pack. And a big part of it is controlling what they can control. So the first thing is around kick strategy, they can control the set piece. Can they put them under enough pressure that the South Africans aren't kicking on their terms? They've got the ball bobbling at the back of the scrum or you know, messy lineouts, so it puts them on behind the eight ball. Second part of that is breakdown. If they can control the breakdown, or at least you know, sometimes you'll see players go in and out, in and out, it's all to just sort of disrupt that ball at the back for uh, when the nine is kicking or, or passing. And then you know, obviously kick pressure, which we see locks do very well. And then fourthly, which I don't think we've done that well, Bryn, is um, that escort game and protecting our back three members to have the best ability of catching their contestable kicks. If we take control of our role in that, as in the All Blacks role, it'll give us our best you know, 
way of disrupting their kick game rather than trying to say, okay, we're going to stop every kick. It's basically just fo focusing on the simplicities of the game and what you can control to disrupt that kick. So there's a lot of work to be done because a lot of those things are things they couldn't do very well against Ireland. Different team though, a different kick strategy. Like, um, you know, Johnny Sexton does love an attacking kick. You know, like it is, it is different um, in terms of the preparation defensively. It is a different line-out structure. So there are elements that will change. Um, but yeah, all areas that we've spoken about and, and the group themselves and the All Blacks have spoken about, they need to be better at it. But I still think that source is going to be the, the big... If you can stop it at the source, man, you, you just nullify everything. It means the opposition are always going to be slower. Even if they win the ball at line-out or it's bobbling back at the scrum, they're not crisp. The ball's behalf behind them. And it gives you the with the right tackle choice, it gives you the opportunity to disrupt that ball at breakdown. They don't even get the chance to kick. So can Jace Ryan make that much difference in two weeks, Bryn? Can he really clean all of this up? I definitely think when it comes to the line out more and the set piece um, part of it, especially when it comes to the line out, um, I definitely think he'll be able to uh, make a difference around that because um, he's proven at Crusaders, and you know, luckily he's got a lot of guys that he actually knows through the Crusaders to be able to, um, they know what they need to do. So more so might be upskilling the, the other guys that haven't been at the Crusaders and helping them with around what that looks like. But I think for me, the, that form of the play can be taken care of with Jace, but I think it's more so the general play kicking in as well, whether that be off kickoffs, um, just that kind of no man zone when they're going nowhere and then they're putting up those contestable kicks. I think that's where um, they can make some pay as well. And I think disrupting at the ruck, is really important and Jip you brought up around knowing your own role you know whether that be you have an understanding that you're escorting the person at the winger that's chasing the ball off um, Hendrickson or the clerk legally um, of or course legally of course yeah. If you, yeah legally of course just in case there's a ref watching um, you know we're, we're talking legally here <laughs> legally legally well to be honest no changing lanes five planes, yeah no changing lanes um, if you watch the Irish they do it pretty well but then I think also it's around the ruck as well Jip um, you know they do make that kind of caterpillar kind of long yeah. ruck. It's pretty important if you're if you're if you're a forward and you have a role around disrupting that, whether it's taking two guys, pulling them forward, so then it's disrupting the ruck that's not so long, then the likes of Scooter Barrett or Sam Whitelock or a, a tall lock or loose forward can then go for the ball and put pressure on Fafta Clerk or um, Hendrickson because we know it's coming. Look, if I know the Irish, they did a little bit of the, the box kicks, not as much as they've, they've been accustomed to with the style of play that they've had, but it's coming with the South Africans. And so um, I think from that, if we get that right, a bit of pressure at the ruck and kick, have those kicks go long, then it's the likes of Will Jordan, Sevi Reese, you know, Geordie Barrett, they can then counter-attack. And I think that's probably where we can make massive gains with the ability of, you know, you look at Will Jordan, his ability to be able to counter-attack off, off long ball. So um, you're not going to get it right all the time, but I think if you can put pressure on them, um, it gives ourselves more opportunities to be able to counter-attack and I guess get into our structures and put the, the South Africans under a lot of pressure defensively. You're not going to get it right all the time, but if you consistently do it, you'll have some wins. And it means they're not cooking on their terms. And I think one of the best exponents of it, and he's not there at the moment because he's injured, but it's Ethan Blackadder. Like when he disrupts, uh, you know, from a kickoff, there's normally a box kick or something like, man, you just know it's his role. And he's really good at knowing if he should just charge and try and get them to topple back on each other, or he pulls guys forward and it disrupts the two that are long behind. And then, then that ball's out and you've got to kick it, not on their terms. And he is awesome at that. And if someone can play that role for the All Blacks, um, it'll, it'll be massive and disrupting. You know, in fact, if he does start, like he, he's been dropped probably for the first time. You know, he, he's had a hell of a lot of success, you know, with that mm. World Cup and, and thereafter. So 
Um, you know, if you can just make any questions in his mind early if he does start, then you know he, he might have some doubts in his game. But also for the young fella that isn't proven yet, if he has a few disruptions, yeah. it puts that sort of extra pressure and, and onus on him and, and it can potentially um, break up his game. What do you think about that as far as what they'll do with their experienced guys? You know, we're hearing that there is still injury problems for uh, Franz Steyn and Dwayne Vermeulen. So do you see a massive change for the South Africans in the team that took on Wales? I don't think massive, but I think those guys come into it. Maybe Franz Steyn, maybe not as much, because I thought Willie LaRue was really strong off, off, the, off the bench. Um, and Willemsa really came of age as well. So maybe, you know, but he could... Um, because Willemsa can go to first five, he could play a role with Willie LaRue on the bench. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen, if he's anywhere near fit, I'd get him in there, personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the only positions for me, really, because um, I think Ch- uh, Colby's out, isn't he? He's got an injury. He could possibly be out. Yeah. So um, you've got Fussy or, Kurt, Fussy or Kurt Lee, who played in that, that, that second, the second test match against Wales, but then, you know, the possibility of after Clerk or Hendrickson was probably the one for me. Um, we'd, me and you, Jip, we'd have Malcolm Mark starting, but I think he must be that super sub. That's just how they he's see him. He's just too good at it. That's um, his probably, problem. Yeah, that's it. So, um, But no, I don't think it's going to change a lot from that third test match, I think. Um, they'll take some confidence from winning that, and then knowing that, you know, there, there's a wounded all-black um, team that's come over to, to South Africa, and they're probably right there for the for the taking and thinking that, you know what, uh, we're going to put our best 15 out, and that, that last test match was probably there, close to it, their best 15. The All Blacks, on the other hand, they've got a few injury woes. Do you think there's a chance that we'll see Fletcher Newell go in there as injury cover in the front row? I think Lomax is with the squad as mm. well, and obviously Angus is still standing down, or has he missed Reed, his... No, he's got um, Red card, isn't he? Yeah, I know, so yeah. is he still missing games? So yes. you'd have to think he's going to be there somewhere. Yep. Um, and it's either the old adage of, um, you know, sometimes it's easier just getting them out there and getting them into it and mm. just rip in and then bringing the experience go off the bench. But then, you know, with such a big test and, and a lot on the line. Um, but I think he's clearly got a coach that knows him very well and believes in his skill set. So you wouldn't be surprised if he's in starting or that match day 23. Yeah, having Jace Ryan in there for a young crusader to come in after only a couple of years of Super Rugby in South Africa is probably, yeah. you're right, very good I, for him. I think it would be unfair for us to... Um, you know, and, and I've had this conversation with a few people over the last week is is thinking he's only there because Jason Ryan knows he's a good player and had a lot to do with the Crusaders. Like, he did perform very well for you guys, didn't he, Bryn? Um, even, you know, not just his scrummaging, but his, his effort to get around the um, corner and, and take some tough carries um, against some big opposition and, and physical opponents. I think he's he's got a lot more to his game than just, just his core basics. I mean, you'll probably know it more, Bryn. Yeah, he is, mate. Um, obviously, a really good scrummaging and good at set piece. But he's actually very mobile for yeah. you know for a big man. I think he's he's pretty quick. I think you know he's one of the, probably the faster um, guys in the team when it comes to the first ten meters. Um, and so he's pretty explosive. And look, he he's got, he's got a great work ethic and he works off the ball, which is really important. And has a has a pretty good skill set considering that he's a, he's a big man, which you know you need um, in this day and age. Uh, we talk around the Irish props and how they can have that ball ability. Um, Fletch has a bit of able to do that. So you're right, Jason Ryan knows him, um, hence the reason why he's, he's over there. It helps sorry, having Jason Ryan there knowing what Fletch can do, but um, he's based on his merits and what he can do for you. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's named in that 23 against um, the first test match. Yeah, we talked a lot about what the All Blacks need to do without the ball. 
What about what they do with the ball? Obviously, Brad Moore is gone. Ian Foster's now looking at the attack again. I suppose the question I have for you is, under Brad Moore, how much different were they doing things to when Ian Foster was in charge of attack in 2019? And so, based on that, can we really see much changing over the next two weeks? Well, I think we've discussed a lot since Brad Moore got in there that there were um, a lot of different, around probably more set-piece strikes. Would that be right, Bryn? Would that be fair? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, but not too much in phase play. We've seen a little bit of a shift in phase play early on um, in the Irish series, and actually throughout the whole Irish series, but it was, it was used really, really well in the, the first test. Um, but I, I think the, the key changes, again, is stripping it back and, and simplifying it and, and being really clear on what you're trying to achieve. So first things first, we need to win our set piece. You know, scrum and line-out needs to be operating, operating at 90-plus probably to beat the Springboks in South Africa. And then winning quick ball breakdown. So being clear on your carries, probably not going to your tips or your release passes early, probably just looking to go direct early and really suck in the defenders and take that challenge on. Not T-boning, obviously trying to get with a bit of footwork, but you know, limiting that, um, I suppose, that error rate that we saw that, that was so crucial in, in some of the, this, especially test two and three. And then once you can do that, you get quick gain line ball, defense is going backwards, so you're not gonna feel that rush depressure so again it's two areas where you're controlling something else that impl uh, um, affects the the defenders getting back on side to go for a rush if it's slow ball they get time to set and they will rush and then it's reading that okay it's slow ball I'm, I'm sounding like some sort of first five here so you can correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong but if it's slow I ball going, if you're slow ball you can get some depth and know that that line speed pressure is coming and if you can't get it through the hands then you know, both tens, whether it's Bowden or Richie, have a great cross-field kicking game and attacking kicking game. But also, I, I, I still harp on that the contestable off ten, England used it really well. When we did it, uh, it, it did work. There was a couple of knock-ons um, towards Leicester's wing, but it, it's really effective and, and it means the defence is going to have to make adjustments if they are being effective in those modes. And then obviously if it's quick ball, run flat and fast like we naturally do and see and then it's a little bit easier to pick teams off and or put one in behind if the fullback comes up. How did I do, Bryn? Mate, great analysis, Jip. Unbelievable. <laughs> great work. You should have been a 10, mate. You should have been a 10 oh, hooker. I just enjoyed food um, too much. Just like you, <laughs> you probably touched on all those all those points, mate, which we're probably um, looking at. I guess for me and seeing for the All Blacks attack, it's more so just them all being aligned, Jip. And I think, um, you know, whether that be, we've got our pod system that we have, whether we want to hit the third guy or we want to hit the middle guy and being able to go through and clean really well, like you've touched around around our breakdown and being efficient at that to get quick ball. But I think it's off that, you know, it's been able to give the guys like Bodie and Richie the opportunity to be able to come around that corner off that off that release pass and being able to go hard at that, that third or that fourth or fifth defender with the two guys outside them running holes and being a really genuine option off that. And so... I think that's one part that, I, that I'd love to see to be able to, um, if we can do that consistently, like the Irish rail were always asking us questions. And then from that, if we hit those rucks where it goes out the back and we hit those forward runners off Richie or Bodie, it's then what's next after that? What does that look like? How can we ask questions of that defence for the second or third phase but off that? You know, so Don't you think they have to read that off the breakdown speed? Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if they keep it really simple early and they're direct and the, the breakdown's quick, they're going to be able to play that round the corner game. But if, if they lose the collision, say Etzebeth gets one of his big hits, then do you think in their game plan it should be like, all right, let's get some depth and we're going to a um, contestable kick or 
rather than just sending yeah. um, forwards around again to then potentially get, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like reading that speed of the breakdown seems to me as a really key um, gauge of how we need to attack. Yeah. I think if like if it is slow ball and we don't have the ability to win that contact, then I think your point around having contestables off tend to be able to put pressure because you've got a full defensive line, it's going to be pretty hard to be able to tackle off that. I think that's a, that's a great option. It's more so when we, even if we're coming around the corner and we're winning that physicality and breakdown, if you're not aligned around your face play shape and you don't have the the animation around a down line off the the second the second forward or the third forward or you know it's a second pivot you know Richie or uh, Bodie come around the corner a quick shift to the second five Davy whoever it is it's the movement and the animation off that where I think you know in that Irish test series we weren't all on the same page we weren't running the same lines and continually questioning the the Irish def- the Irish defence like you look at Sexton and a lot of those phases when. Um, you know, they hit the they hit the forwards, the three forwards, and they went out the back, and they went into that breakdown. They got quick ball in the middle of the field. Sexton went the same way, and they had two lines, and they hit Bundy Arkey out the back, and Leicester bit in, and they went around him. But that's the kind of examples that I'm using around, I think, at, when we played the Irish, we didn't get that right. We had guys that were running the, the wrong lines. We weren't been able to get in the right space, and so it was much easier to defend. And so I guess what that comes back to, it's been able to set first and see what's in front of you, and then you've got to be able to communicate from the outside in to guys like Richie, to guys like Davey, to be able to understand where the space is, you know, whether that be an attacking kick chip, you know, whether it be you get into Davey's hands and he can kick a long 50-22 or he can kick a little grubber in behind, but it's got to be able to be, the team has to be set first. Yeah. You've got to be able to then put communication into you so then you can be able to ask questions, which I just probably don't think we've got that right um, against the Irish series. So that's probably an improvement that I think we need to have, like the Irish, when they always continue to ask us questions around the face play shape. Yeah, and I think probably what I was trying to say is we tried to do that off slow ball and that's why a guy's lines were missed and the animation wasn't there because everyone's a little bit stagnant and it's always a lot easier when, you've, when you get set and you know the ball's presented like it is at training but it's just having that, you know, that go-to clarity and, and stripping back the menu or the options in your phase play and going, okay, if it's slow ball, we're going to that. And everyone knows that the kick chase is there or, or it's a cross-field kick or um, it is Davy doing a 50-22. Um, but, you know, you can plan all week, but I still think like, this breakdown and the simplicity in terms of the skill set needed early on to get some ascendancy and confidence back in the group is critical. But also having the confidence that, hey, they're going to win some collisions. Like, you're coming up against some of the biggest men in world rugby. They will win some. So what is it we're going to off that? And and I just mm. believe they can do it because I've shown it time and time again in some of the best players in the world. Yeah. And just a lot, just, just to finish up on that, Jip, like, it's been able to, like, for a week, it's been able to prepare prepare for that. So mm. you know, you'd have to think the South Africans, right, they're going to bring a lot of line speed through AM and their, their wing is staying high. So it's been able to prep through the week. Like, you know, for the example that I used with the face play shape, for example, when we were at the Crusaders, we knew for that week that they, if they were going to come high, we needed to race inside shoulders. And so whether it was a forward or a back, you always knew that you had your mindset and your preparation that off that face play, whether it be off one, if it's off Bodie or Richie, or if it's off Davey with the second pair of hands, you're always having a downline because that puts that checks the winger and you can either hit him, be able to go forward, or you can go out the back, or you can bridge. So you've got to consistently, that comes back to preparation and understanding what that might be through the week. So I'd like to think that that's probably what we're going, to, we're going to see through the All Blacks, their ability to be able to have that downline runner to really check AM and check their wingers. So then, you know, they might have to hold off 
and then it gives you the ability to be able to go out the back and then be able to do the bridge pass and really slow that line speed down. So like you, like you said, Jip, you're not always going to get it right, but if you continue to keep asking them that, all it might take is two or three times, bang, 100%. you're through on that short ball or you're out the back or you're a bridge. So, and that's what it takes. Um, that's what I'd like to see, hopefully, um, with these All Blacks coming forward for those next two matches. Do you think that, you know, like I'm saying from a forwards perspective, let's maybe put the tips and the inside ball away um, and just be direct early. Am I correct in thinking, and I may be um, wrong here, but what I feel like you're saying is let's just have one way of running a face-to-face shape that gives me four options off maybe the first or second ruck that is going to ask mm. questions and they're eventually, you know, maybe going to make the wrong decision and we're going to make the right one in terms of what option we use. 100%. Yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely, Joe. 100%. Well, I'm acting like a front row. It just took a while, but, you know, I got there. I got there. Looking after my fellow front rowers out there. Some of the smartest men in the game. There's no doubt about that. Um, tell me, the way that the South Africans approach defence in comparison to the way that the Irish approach defence, are they going to show a lot of different pictures or do they have a similar approach to the way that they do up? Fairly similar, but I would say um, the Irish are really good around their decision-making at breakdown time for turnovers. Um, and I think that's throughout the 80 minutes, you know, whether to enter and waste a body or let's spread the field and have another body so that we can come up and, and rush. Where the Springboks are really good is late in games when guys like Marks and Quagga Smith come on. And that's 60 to 80 when, you know, normally the game's in the balance. I reckon that's the period they're the best at in terms of been disruptive defensively at that defensive breakdown because those boys are fresh and just so good and focused on one role and that's normally to get turnovers yeah um, so it's, it's a hard like they're going to see the similar pitches yes but it comes in different ways against the spring box I believe it is a little scary to see a bench like that come on especially in the front row when you consider the stocks that the all blacks have got down at the moment Bryn oh well you know look at last year in the rugby championship pretty much you know just after half time and they were subbing their whole their whole front row. You know, so um, that's how much kind of depth that they've got in their in their four in their front row at, at the moment. And so but that doesn't say that the All Blacks can't do that, you know. Um, you know, when you're when you wear their all black jersey, you know, there's an expectation on yourself and you know that you've got to be able to go out there and perform. So um, yeah, that's a very massive strength that the, that the South Africans have and I think like like um, you know, Gypsy when you you could bring marks and you know those other boys that um, that are pretty much exactly the same as the starting front rowers. You can have, you know, you can interchange them with how much depth they have there. Um, it's a scary thought, but look, um, it's a challenge that I'd like to think. I know um, Jason Ryan will be um, will be putting on them those boys to be able to front up and um, we'll strip it right back, give them a clear process and a clear goal. But um, you know, it'll be a great um, encounter for those boys that are going to be able to test and, and test themselves against, you know, arguably one of the best front rowers and the front rowing teams in the world. One of the biggest talking points this weekend will be the red cards. We see them every week now, yellow cards, red cards, and Sanzar's made the decision to go with a 20-minute red card, go against the way that World Rugby's going, and continue this trial. Now, they've been, you're giving it the big clap. Not everyone's giving it the big clap. Uh, the concussion prevention groups are saying, no, this is a terrible idea. Nigel Owens has come out and said, this is a terrible idea. We're looking at entertainment before safety. <sighs> you've given it the clap. I know you've stood on this until now, um, do you still stand in the same place? Oh, look, I, I think, you know, this is from my opinion. I'm not a doctor. Um, and, and probably an area that I'm 
naturally sensitive to, like I had to leave the game because of concussion symptoms and still have them to this day. But I don't think it is detrimental to player safety because you're still going to suffer consequences. And you get that 20 minute red card, that player can't come back on, then they've got to go to the judiciary. So I'm not too sure why, um, you know, if anything, did we not see a red card in test two and then a yellow card in test three? Do you know what I mean? Like, are we talking about players say that should have been a red card, should it not? Uh, like, so, so to me, the 20-minute red card doesn't take away from the spectacle. Yep, that it is about that element of it. But I don't know, 20 minutes is, is a long time, and the fact that that could be a key player that can't come back on, um, yep. I, I just... I think the 20-minute red card's a good thing. It's just, it's a personal view, but it's not a medical view. Mm. Like, I, I, I'm not a doctor, and I don't understand why if a player goes off for 60 minutes and, you know, versus 20 minutes is about player safety, I, I just can't, I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, your thoughts, Brent? Yeah, on with Chip, more so, like, the medical side of it, you know, there's really no, no difference, but I think... I think just having the 20 minutes is just so much, is so much better, you know, like that player can't come back on, you know, so, you know, you know let's say it's an Adi Severe or it's a Bowdoin Barrett, you know, they get injured, they can't come on, but it doesn't take away from the spectacle of being able to, you know, for fans to be able to say, um, you know, we want to see a 15-man contest, we want to be able to get um, a competitive a competitive game, and so um, I'm a big fan for it because um, I think the 20 minutes is long enough for the for the team that's been able to try and um, score, score points from that, it's enough time for them to be able to influence and be able to get um, a, an advantage from having that 20 minutes off. Um, and so, um, oh, yeah, for me, it's just a, yeah, I know it's, there's a, a lot of people might think it's, it's, it's wrong, but for me personally, I, I love the idea of having 20. I just think it doesn't take away from the spectacle. It gives the, the opposing teams enough opportunities to be able to influence and score points through that time. And then they get to be able to come back on. And then you, as an attacking team as well, you get to be able to go back to 15 and try one a, a test match in a way for 15 men. And you talk about, um, you know, player safety, like, hate to go back to it, but Brody Talek broke a cheekbone. It was, if that was a 20-minute, would it be this, you know, yellow card with a new call about absorbing force or whatever, or was that a 20-minute red card? Do you know what I mean? So, like, there's arguments both ways. I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. All I'm saying is I see the elements... Um, that are positive for our game that is struggling to get fans engaged. Mm. And there's an element mm. of it as well that I still think looks after player safety. I don't think either's mm. perfect in player safety. The, the, the solution to it is dropping your tackle height. Yeah. You know, like we've spoken about, and England are the best at it and they're the best at the breakdown at the yeah. moment. And just, and just on that, I know probably World Rugby want to go back to that... Um, Whenever you get a red card, you're off for the whole game because they haven't seen enough change and been able to. Yeah. Um, They've probably seen an increase. Cards. I understand. You've probably seen an increase, but I think there's actually been a lot of work behind the scenes to be able to have those conversations. Where I think earlier on in my career, you know, we didn't really talk around your tackle technique. We talked around it a little bit, but not to the to the point where it is now. It's like you need to get your tackle point right. And guys are guys are trying to change the level. We're changing where we're training at different levels, trying to not get that. Even like the assist tackler. Because the assist tackler is probably the most um, one that's getting the red card because they've got to be able to stay high and the first person's chopping and that's probably the people that are getting it wrong at the moment. But the conversations, the the change of habits, they're happening at um at, at, at our level. So I think 
in a couple more years time i think you're going to see a lot more efficient efficiency when it comes to the tackle area i just think i hope to think that world rugby they probably won't because they're going to go back to what they think they haven't seen enough improvement there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Around it, but I know for us as players, we're making the improvements and we're trying to get that tackle tackle lower but you probably think three to five years ago we weren't looking at it that seriously to be able to try and get it that right because um it wasn't massive but i know now um it's it's massive and so i, I think we're going to continue to keep seeing improvements around tackle technique and it's, and it's going to get better it's going to get better just hope we'll hope we'll rugby um don't lose faith in that i've done a full 180 flip on this i argued with you guys that i was blue in the face last year and this year about the fact that i felt there needed to be a bigger deterrent I think what I've learned this year is that it doesn't matter what the deterrent is because none of these players are intentionally doing anything. Angus Ta'aval is in a position which he just couldn't get out of the way. It happened too quickly. When I look at it and I think, okay, so if it's happening no matter what the rule is, then surely we have to think about the spectacle as well because it's happening either way. So why do this crackdown for a full... 80 minutes and, and ruin the game and the fans are up in arms and everyone's hating all these red cards and everyone's saying it's getting soft, it's not totally winks, blah, 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 blah. We just have to accept that this is going to happen come what may and it doesn't matter whether you go back to, you can be sent off in the first minute for 79 minutes. It just doesn't matter. No, but I, I still go back to, I think we get fixated around the cards when the solution isn't whether it's 20 minutes or 80 minutes. Do you know what I mean? The solution is in, in technique or as Bryn says, the assist tackler has approached because you do have to stay high. Um, and that's why that being clear on what defenders' tackle choice go-to is, like England seem to have at the moment, is a real low focus, which doesn't mean the assist tackler has to get involved. The assist tackler is straight on the ball. So there's no chance of that shoulder. But if someone's not that way inclined and you're caught on the inside and they're still high, you have to, as the assist tackler, really drop your height. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do in split seconds. Mm. Um, and I'm not making excuses. As I say, like I'm sensitive to the topic, having left the game myself, but it, it's, I, I just don't understand why 20 versus 60 is medically safer. Yeah. If yeah. anything, you could look at it, and I'm getting off track here, but 15 versus 15 means there's not 14 players trying to cover one player that could lead to other incidents. I don't know. I think it's important because you know the information's been it's been given to us. It's, it's, we've got a pretty clear understanding. Like, well, let's just take away the, obviously this, we're talking about the red card scenarios around more so around tackle choice or tackle heights and being able to get that wrong. It's the best team that can be able to adapt for that. And you can talk around England. You know they've adapted the best at it. So 
they very rarely are they getting red cards to be able to because they're getting their, their technique wrong with their tackle choice selected. So I think moving forward, it's yes, you know, world rugby, you know, they'll they'll bring in little things here and there, but it's on the players. It's on us as players to be able to get that technique right because the information's been given to us. If you go anywhere near the head, whether it be shoulder, your swinging arm, late going to the ground, you're gonna get a red card. So going into the rugby world cup, it's gonna be the team that's been able to adapt to those rules because it's not like it's just happened in twelve months. We've been told this for probably the last, you know, three to four years around the red card and how much it's going to cost you if you don't get your technique right. So I think moving forward, whether it be the All Blacks or whatever team it is, you've just got to be able to adapt and you've got to get your technique right. And that comes back on the training pitch, being able to get your preparation right, what that looks like, your tackle technique with your defence coach and, and keep just hammering it because, um, you know, I'd hate to think, I don't want to say this, but it probably will happen in 20, you know, at the Rugby World Cup in a semi-final or final, there's going to be a red card and we're going to be talking about it through the form of um, bad tackle technique. You know, so that's why I think the 20 minutes, because I've contradicted myself here, but, you know, if there's a, you know, and say in the first couple of minutes, there's, you know, Ang- Angus Tarvel situation, you know, and you lose a World Cup because he's gone for 77 minutes, you know, so, um, but adapting and being able to get that right, I think us as players, we have to take accountability around that loss. And I think it's pretty important. I think I just argued against myself though as well like if we keep using England as the example but they've been under the sanction and premiership of you get it wrong you've gone for the whole game so I've just been sitting here thinking probably using England as an example hasn't helped my argument but that's what I'm saying like you it's not one or other Mm. it's just more about trying to keep working at finding a solution that you know solves that issue but also keeps our game our game yeah we we got down a rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just an impossible issue because there is no real science to it stuff happens in a game of rugby but it's also there's no one across the whole game that's not trying to find a solution either Mm. do you know what i mean like everyone knows it's there everyone's aware of it and everyone's trying to do everything possible um and, and do as much work to, to find the solution and, and it's from a player's point of view on the grass you know you've got a current player trying to take accountability there'll be coaches the same and then there's the wider organizations and associations as well so um not saying that it's solved but there's there's a lot of manpower going into try to solve it now another major talking point this week not that we haven't talked about scott robertson enough in the last couple of <laughs> uh, <laughs> went on with jim hamilton on the the big jim show and talked about his future um his coaching future He'd like to win two World Cups, one with New Zealand and one with another country. Um, is that an alarming thing for NZR to hear him talking in that way at this time? I think it's pretty smart from him, to be honest. I think he's just keeping his keeping his options open. And so, um, yeah, I think no different. I think he touched on in that, in that podcast around no different from players. You know, if, if an opportunity isn't there, you've got to be able to look at other avenues to be able to um, continue your career so um and you know it's not automatic that ray will, will get the job you know so whether that you know that first tenure is him going to england you know eddie jones is leaving in 2023 and if you got the opportunity to go coach england and been able to um, you know try win a world cup then and then been able to possibly come back to new zealand but you never guarantee to get an opportunity in new zealand because um you know there's um, you know, very rarely do they get rid of rid of coaches for 10 years usually a two World Cup campaigns. So um, I think Ray is playing the game, as you should, as a player and even as a coach as well. He's playing the game and um, putting them on notice because, you know, look, 
he's probably the most hottest ticket when it comes to coaching. So, you know, if we don't want him, you know, I know England or, you know, some other teams would would be chopping at the bit to get a, a guy like Razor and, um, and being able to get him to coach the country. A man with his record, you'd have to back him, mm. wouldn't you? <laughs> man, there's, there's not a trophy that he hasn't committed to that he hasn't won. Like, that's pretty mm. amazing to be able to say that. Yeah. It's um mm. yeah it's pretty impressive and and I think that's why why he's such an infectious person to be around um, in these environments is because he's got an ambition himself and his ambition to be better mm. every day um, for whoever he's uh, a part of to be better you can see his whole outlook is is optimistic positive and all mm. his energy is focused on um, you know what he's in at the moment but also where he wants to get to. Just on that, I think one of the things that um, that makes race so good. And you look at his, his resume. You know, he's won six championships with Crusaders, but what he always brings into for the year it's how do you how do we evolve? How do we continue to get better? How do we not get? How do we keep um, you know moving the pendulum? How do we keep getting better? And be able to keep a step ahead of, of other teams. And so he continually always has that in his mind. So like when you've got that kind of um, you know, that mindset, say how can we make that one percent? How can we be better? How can I how can I grow this group? How can I how can we win another championship? We can't be the same. And so um, you know, like when you've got that kind of ability and understanding as a coach, um, it's so infectious. And you look at the results from it. So, and I know international rugby is a completely step up, but um, like you said, Jip, um, he's proven everywhere he's gone, he's won, he's won, he's won. So he's doing something right. And you know, it'll be a loss, it'll be a shame if we, um, you know, if we don't get him in New Zealand and he's coaching another team. And, you know, he's winning a World Cup with another team. That'll be pretty tough um, to watch if that, uh, if, that, if that ends up happening. I think it's worthwhile noting that he's done it with a number of assistants as well, that he's the common denominator. Because yes. sometimes it's like coaching groups and, and, you know, but he is a common figure in that success, but he has surrounded himself with many different, um, mm. you know, assistants. And he's got the best out of them that they've all gone on to bigger and better things as well. And then he's, you know... I think it's uh, James Marshall he's brought in um, for the Crusaders and yeah. and seeing what he's done at Tasman and things like that. Like he, he, I don't know, he just seems to bring the best out in not only the players but the, the people around him as well. He he understands he understands his weaknesses, and look, when you've had that much success, you can probably afford to be able to get complacent and think, you know, I've I've clock coaching, you know, I get what we need, but. He's always, um, whatever his weaknesses are, you know, he talked around in the podcast, he's a visionary, um, you know, he thinks around, he's, not a, he's a great starter, but he's not a great finisher. And so he brings people around him to be able to uh, compliment him with his weaknesses around what he doesn't do well. And so, you know, look at the likes, he's done, like you said, he's done it with different kinds of coaches. You know, Ronan O'Gara was someone that um, at the time when, when he was announced, you know, we thought, oh, that's completely different, no other tech, no other club really ever has got someone from the northern hemisphere to come to New Zealand and coach um, and been able to do that but at the time he thought you know with how Rog thought of the game and he completely changed our game completely changed our mindset around defence and been able to improve and so then you know he did that and then he brought you know Tommy Allison in he's brought Andrew Goodman in Leo McDonald was there in the first year in 2017 Brad Moore so um, look Jason he can do it with any form of coach Jason Ryan obviously who's, who's now moved up to the, to the All Blacks and so um, it just adds to his resume that he can do it with other coaches. He, he knows what he needs and he's got a clear direction around his, his weaknesses and he can get other people to be able to, to help towards that because he's got, the great, he's got a great mindset and a great, his biggest strength 
is bringing players together in a culture and a mindset theme for the year. That's what he does best. And so, um, yeah, like I said, it'd be a shame to see him go if he doesn't get the job for the All Blacks in the next coming years. The startling thing about that list you just rattled off of the assistant coaches is that a lot of them are so fresh they've barely got any experience at a Super Rugby level as a coach, and yet they've come in and done the business. So he's, he's obviously got an eye for talent. I do think as well, um, if you look at the teams he's coached, he's got some great senior leaders. Like it all plays, but he's, he, he's the one that plans a squad and manages that as well along with the assistants, but it does play a big role. Um, I, I think you'd have to agree your senior leadership group, Bryn, is, is massive in terms of the week um, and, and how the year and weeks are structured. And it would have been no different in Canterbury, probably no different at the under-20s. Yeah, and, and that's the really good thing that he that he does, you know, you know, with our leadership group when we were in there. Um, you know, it was really important to be aligned. And so, you know, the coaches would go away, they'd do their review and um, we'd preview and say, how do we get better? What does it look like? And then you know, us as senior leaders would catch up on a Monday and would say, what do we think we need to get better? And then we'd come together. And the best thing about Ray is he's just, he's open to be able to um, have our, whatever we, whatever we think or what the feel of the group is, he's open-minded enough to be able to, to then, you know, he, they might think a completely different thing as coaches, but, you know, hearing from the players and having that, that feel and that, and that understanding of what we need, um, he then can then report back and, and alter things around what our week might look like or the, the tour that we're going on. So um, it plays a big part, Jip. Yep, obviously Jip, oh, not Jip, um, obviously Ray um, is the, the spearhead of that. But there's so much around the assistant, the coaches, and the players all being aligned and then going form to a, a common goal, which is which is powerful when you've got all those powers that be um, connected and moving forward towards um, a common goal. So you've got this guy who's incredibly ambitious, has proven himself in every way possible as a coach, and he says he wants to win with your country and another country. Do you let him win overseas first, or do you let him win with you first? That's the big question for NZR. Which one does he win with first? Yeah, and I think timing's going to play a part in that. You know, you, he may have made his mind up. It's not just on NZR to make a decision. Mm. He, he may have you know, decided that he wants to do it a certain way. So I, I think the timings of that discussion, but also um, being respectful to the current management group is, is, is really critical. So it's a fine line and, and a tough position that NZR find themselves in. It's going to happen in 2023 or 2024. It's going to happen like very very soon so they don't have much time to think no. about the hottest talent in coaching in world rugby he was agent well yeah, here's an example yeah i'll take a cut <laughs> i'm sure there's a big cash coming if ian foster and the coaching group that are there now if they won a rugby world cup then razor's not going to get the job is he oh. so then you know it's it's another four years that he's going to have to wait if you're in foster and you won the world cup wouldn't you be like i proved you're wrong i'm out wouldn't, isn't that what you do? <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You know? Yeah. Who knows? But, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to wait and see. It's not the Richard Mwanga boat and barrel anymore. It's the Razor yeah. and Fozzie. <laughs> that, that's right. Hey. And, and the split is not even. <laughs> the split's the opposite to the Richie versus yeah. Bodie scenario, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the country's well and truly on one side from what you read. Nani Lamape. Now, here's a guy who has been a source of contention for a lot of New Zealand fans. I know that certainly on this podcast, we were massive advocates for him in and around his All Blacks career. And 
He has gone to France in 2021. He's at Stade Francais. There's a better chat about whether or not he's going to stay there based on whether or not his performances have been up to what he's being paid over there. He's come out and had a crack at NZR. And he said they never gave him a shot. He was by the coaching um, panel's admission, the form midfielder, but he didn't fit what they wanted. They offered him a pay cut. And so he took big money in France and left. He's obviously very bitter about it. Is this a good way to play this game? Well, Bryn, you're a current player. What do you think? Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Left it through to the keeper, and uh, Bryn, you're the keeper. <laughs> how would you play it, mate? Um, <laughs> I'm retired. My boots are uh, well and truly up. <laughs> um, well, look, I think that, that's how it's... It's how Nani feels, you know, so like that's not what, what I would do or someone else might be different. They might do it in a different way. They might do it as how, how Nani's done it. But um, look, I think he just, he, he cares. He cared about, you know, being the All Blacks. And, you know, at that time, you know, if he would have thought that he was the former midfielder and like, he played such good rugby during that. Um, he actually left a, he left a comment. I read his comment around from like 2017 to the time that he left. Um, he was, um, you know, arguably the best 12 in the country. And so for whatever reason, it, it just didn't click at the, at the New Zealand level. Um, and so whether that through, that it's through coaches or not given opportunities, he, he probably felt that that was the case. Um, but, you know, the worst thing that he's done, he, he's gone to La Francais and he's made that decision. He decided to leave. You know, if he's probably, if he stayed, you know, I look at all the midfielders that we have here at the moment, he's one guy that can get that um, advantage line to be able to get over the advantage line and, and be a big ball carrier, which, you know, that's his biggest strength and probably what we were missing and what we're wanting and one of our 12s, but, you know, with the, with the midfielders that we have, they all have different array of skills, whether that be distribution, kicking, um, running, um, all various, all, all variety of 12s and 13s, you know, in the country at the moment. But I think if he wants to come back, you know, I think it's, it needs to be done pretty soon because you know, there's a Rugby World Cup one more year, but um, there hasn't been a decision around who the 12 or the 13 is yet, has there? We'd like to think that moving forward, um, it's going to be... Um, that story is going to be told and we're going to have a pretty clear understanding on who that's going to be moving forward through the rugby championship. But um, look, if he wants to come back, um, you know, he's he's more than willing to, but I think he's been a few bridges, unfortunately, with the way he's come out. So whether he'll be able to be in the team, I'm not too sure. But what do you think, Jip? I agree. We did, we did single him out through that period of talking about the midfielders before he left and, and, and spoke about you know, the strengths to his game, but also how much effort he was putting on in, in the work-ons in his game. He was really trying to up his kicking game. Um, yeah. You know, you'd have to say his work rate, he always got on that backfield brin to add an extra number in terms of counter-attack. He got on that edge. Um, so I think none of that's changed. And, and so from a skill set point of view, um, I, I certainly think he could come back and, and do the business. Um, but, you know, me personally, I wouldn't let this play out publicly because it means... Shows like this start um, talking about, and I'm sure there's many others around the world. Um, and and also, um, you know, we don't know the whole story. So you know, and it's not like NZR are going to come out in a PR battle with um, one of their players. Um, so it, it's a hard one. It's but he he certainly clearly feels aggrieved, mm. um, which is I think you know, in all honesty, um, you know, NZR probably don't want him feeling that way. You know, they are pretty respectful of, of um, you know, ex-All Blacks and, and making sure that they're, you know, heard and looked after. So, um, you know, that there's nothing saying that they haven't reached out to him after those comments either. 
Mm. New Zealanders don't do this. It's just not how we roll in the most part, is it? You, you move on, you bury it deep inside, bottle it up, <laughs> and maybe let it out over a couple of beers to it's a not, mate, but you don't do it on social media. It's not necessarily um, the right thing either. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's... I'd, I'd love to see him back, though. I, I really would. Mm. He, he is... Because like, like Bryn said, and, and, and we are a rugby analysis show as well, but what, you know, with his ability to get over the gain line is one thing, but his ability to run that line consistently, that down line, that potentially gets him over the gain line, but it opens up opportunities because he tra- attracts two or three defenders. And that's, you know, it's such a massive attacking weapon and threat. Um, but then it's balanced with, you know, tactical kicking, but like we highlighted, I don't know, a number of years, two years ago, or a year ago, um, he was clearly trying to work on that part of his game and his Hurricanes performances. And was having success. He was. Which is why I agree that he was hard done by, because he should have been there and the All Blacks needed him. And in hindsight, that's probably easy to say, but you look back at it in hindsight, it's probably true. Yeah. 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 And at the same time, you know, if you're feeling like, you know, He's in the post he was from 2017 to the time that he left. So that's a long time that he felt that he was playing at a at a high level and been able to, you know, thinking that he was, you know, you know, having opportunities that that he wasn't getting and he felt that he deserved. But you know, the biggest thing I think we talked about it when he left, he was making those those little improvements, those little adjustments that he needed to do as a second five. We knew that he was a great ball carrier, but there were times that he was putting crossfield kicks, um, you know, attacking kicks, little kicks long kicks his distribution game was getting a lot better and so um you know it's hard to say because like if you're doing four years and you feel like you're not getting you need to be happy and you need to be able to have um, happiness and being able to feel like you're enjoying your rugby and he probably felt that he wasn't enjoying his rugby and wasn't getting what he deserved and so he went to stop and say you know he might feel that he's gone a year over there and he might want to change his decision and say you know what i want to come back and try um earn the all black jersey but um yeah did it, obviously doing a bit of airing your bit of dirty laundry isn't isn't great, but um, it comes back to he cares and he wanted to put it put it out there that um, he wasn't happy and uh, you know hopefully for us as New Zealand fans we'd love to see him back um, definitely for the Hurricanes and you know, whatever that looks like moving forward. Yeah, yeah, it'd be an interesting negotiation if they went to the table at this point in time. Now Nani played under Chris Boyd and we probably saw a lot of his best rugby under Chris Boyd um, with the Hurricanes on their way to a title in 2016. So Chris Boyd is back. He's back as a director of rugby. I don't really know what that means. But at the Highlanders, Clark Dermody's the new coach. To have a guy like him come in and oversee what they're doing and help out Clark Dermody, that's a big play. Massive. It's, um, it's exciting for the Highlanders. Um, you know, Any coach with that proven record that can come and help a, a new head coach... Um, and, and, and just getting, I suppose, their roles and responsibilities really clear before the season starts and when pressure comes on, because I think that's where it'll be critical that they just trust each other to stay in, in what was agreed pre-season. Um, I think it can be really powerful for that club. A director of rugby, you know, is, is that a coach? Is that an administrator? What do you know about what a director of rugby does, Bryn? Um. I'm not too sure if he's going to be more hands-on because, like, wasn't Warren Gatlin? He was director of rugby for the Chiefs mm. with under, under Clayton. So um, I'm not too sure, but you know, you'd like to think that he'd have some form of like 
um, coaching within within the group. And I guess what the, the things that Boydie does, you know, I was coached him within under twenties, is that he's got a good ability to be able to understand young players. And you look at the signings that the Highlanders have made; they've made an investment in the young players coming through their academy system. And so, um, anytime you can bring a guy like Chris Boyd, who's spent time at the under twenties and even the New Zealand schools level, and understanding these young guys and what makes them tick, um, having a guy like Boydie who can come in and develop those guys and, under, and talk to them, um, it just adds more growth in that in that coaching staff. So um, he's a great rugby mind. I remember even though it was ten years ago, um, he's got a great way of looking at the game. Um, you know, whether it be attacking and seeing space or having those conversations uh, individually to improve your game, um, it's a great it's a great pickup for the Highlanders and. Um, it'd be great for the organisation moving forward. What I like about Chris Boyd, and I had a little bit of dealing with him when I lived in Wellington and worked as a journo down there, is he is straight up and down. You know, and it causes problems with NZR sometimes because he just says what he thinks, but he is straight up and down. And I would imagine in that kind of role, it could really help an organisation get to where it needs to go because you'd be having those really hard conversations. Yeah, and I, I, look, I think he'll be across the whole, you know, ecosystem as such you know like from talent ID to Highlanders pathways which is you know they've got a, a setup down there that's working really well with Kane Jury but um, it's then having that wider relationship with Otago and Southland um, and making it clear that they understand what the pathway and their role is and, and that then it's you know mentoring and supporting the coaches um, that may be hands-on on the grass in a specific area or it may be um, just as a guiding influence and then obviously in terms of dealing with um, you know sort of sponsor and commercial obligations so that those coaches um, and potentially I suppose um, board discussions it leaves those coaches just to focus on rugby and really nail down what they needed to do week to week um, but I think every director of rugby role is normally bespoke to what the environment needs mm. and, uh, and that's why I just think as, as long as they set out those roles and responsibilities really clear from the start and, and the key is, is one thing setting them out but staying true to them saying we planned this for a reason we, we spoke about it for this way so when the pressure comes on we don't you know try and change it uh, unless they change it and involve it together. Mm, mm. It's good for New Zealand rugby. You mentioned Warren Gatland. We're talking about Chris Boyd. The brain drain is being reversed a little, and that's good. Absolutely. Um, but the experience coaches get, like sometimes it's like, oh, you know, the, more coaches are leaving, but you know, it's experiences that coaches get can almost bring them back um, and and make them a more complete coach and seeing the game in a different way. So. Um, that overseas experience, although we don't um, necessarily want it, when they do come back, they are better coaches for it. This has really been the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. We've had a serious New Zealand focus for this episode. <laughs> We've been talking about every team under the sun for a few weeks now. This has been a serious, serious New Zealand episode. Let's have a look instead at the Australia versus Argentina game, eh? In Mendoza, the other opening match of the Rugby Championship. How do you see that panning out, considering the results against England and Scotland during the last little series? Yeah, look, I, I think um, one area that Argentina have uh, made adjustments in, especially against Scotland, is, is their turnover rate. So, um, you know, they, they have sort of lessened the impact of what their offload game was, and they're, they're throwing um, maybe reckless passes. They're more winning the collision than throwing offloads, so they've, they've got a higher, higher rate of success. So if, if they stick to, I suppose, their DNA, um, and, and have a good kick strategy to make sure the Wallabies are coming out of their half. They'll, they'll give themselves a lick at home. But the Wallabies, although they lost that series, showed um, 
elements of huge strength, but also I believe they probably potentially lost that series rather than England winning it in terms of the opportunity, especially in that second test. So they'll be looking for a higher rate of execution, especially around set piece, because once they get their game going and they get their phase play count, they normally do come away with points. Um, but they really struggled, especially in the back end of tests, to come away with, um, you know, in particular, line-out wins. What are you thinking, Bryn? Yeah, I think for the Argent Argentinians, I think um, last year probably the, the discipline was a, was a big factor for them last year, not being able to give teams opportunities in, in the 22. So, um, you know, there's probably been improvements in, in the Scotland series with that. And then I think... Um, the ability to be able to play with the ball in hand, I think we've seen it in the in the Scottish series that the ability to be able to play uh, when they have that physicality and they've been able to win the breakdown. Um, they've got the likes of you know um, Buffelli and the outside backs have been able to give them opportunities to be able to to be able to influence the game. But um, I think for the Australians, you know, they've made some big improvements and, and you know they're probably thinking around that um, that English series that they lost that. You know, they had ample opportunities to be able to. To win them through actually making them having a lot of um, opportunities to score tries or to be able to um, break the line but the execution they weren't clinical enough so they made that shift in the back end of the rugby championship last year you know they, they weren't able to be able to be um, ruthless and clinical in the early part of the rugby championship when playing the all blacks and then in the rugby championship they were able to be able to be a lot more um, clinical in their face play shape and the variety around uh, playing without the ball contestables and um i guess attacking zone as well so um, it's going to be a great one, but I think you know it's, it's tough to win in Argentina. So uh, I see it going. I see it being a very 50-50 game, and um, I guess you know the home advantage of the Argentinians might get them over the line for the first Test match. But um, that's going to be a great, great way to start for those two teams, and um, see who gets that winning, that winning first game. Yeah, but we'll we'll differ there. I, I think Aussie will win, but an area that Argentina could look at that England had success is around that tackle choice and if you remember when Argentina bet the All Blacks, um, Mateta had that day in the sun um, over the ball um, and, and, and that, that caused a lot of problems um, for Australia in that England series so if they can get that I suppose that ego out of it and not trying to just dominate that collision all the time, yeah have you know Kramer as well, You know he was really big that day against um, the All Blacks as well if those Lucys can get into that breakdown tussle and give opportunities for their forwards to go to work um, and getting that balance, yeah, they're definitely a chance at home, but I, I just think um, the Aussies will, will have a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. Yes, they have a lot of injuries, I understand that, but I think we saw with that Australian A um, performance that they, they have created a lot of depth that can step up. Okay, so in the Rugby Championship this weekend, you are picking the Wallabies over Argentina? Yep. And you are picking Argentina over the Wallabies, or not sure? No, I'm picking. I'm picking the Wallabies. Oh, the wallabies. Wait, did he not surprising. just say he's, he's not Argentina at home? Yeah, mate, said, we're just gonna we're gonna having them at home, home is gonna put them. It's gonna be making it a lot tougher for Australia. But I still think Australia are gonna win. Just I think it's gonna be really a really really close test match, similar to the Scottish series. So I'm backing the Wallabies. So. Argentina aren't too far. Can we, can we edit that bit and then go after he yeah. said that, please? He did run a marathon this afternoon at training, so we've got to go <laughs> yeah, well, light on him. Yeah, let him off. <laughs> let him off. Yeah, uh, okay, so that's what we've got here. We've got two Australians, and then from our conversation earlier, I feel like you're both going to say the All Blacks are going to win this weekend in a Mombella. Yep. Definitely. I wouldn't say definitely, but Def I'm backing them. 
<laughs> so do we want to... Mate, okay, okay. I, 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 he is so far on the fence in both of these games, it's not even funny. Okay, okay. Oh, so... I'm, still, I'm still backing, still backing the All Blacks, but it's yeah. not a definite, like, bigger favourites to go win their Test match by 30. Oh, they're not going to be favourites. There's no way that's... No. no. So I, I'm backing the All Blacks. Just right. not definitely, like, it's like 30-point winning. <laughs> when I came in today, I just I wasn't expecting two nil results from both of you in the All Blacks versus the Springboks. I just I'm actually a little bit flabbergasted. I just think it's um, the optimism, potentially the mindset, and the way we think, having been previous players in that environment. Um, it's just hard to, you know, probably think otherwise. Like, like the, this is an All Black pack that's hurting. Um, you've had their new coach come out and say it's it's uh, dented. I, I just think there's there's a, enough freshness and, and I'm hearing enough of the right things that they focus on themselves and not on the opposition. And normally when that happens and, and there's um, some new ideas, it's given me confidence, clearly. Well, you've just given Ian Foster another year and a half in the right. job. Well, he has. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason, why I'm, the reason why I'm picking the All Blacks is because if we get that physicality and the breakdown that we've t- consistently talked about with the All Blacks, if we get that right, I just don't think this, the Springboks are going to ask that many questions like the Irish did. You know, consistently for high phase counts or just in general, you know, the amount of times that the animation that they had, they put us under so much stress and scored so many trials off that where the South Africans don't play that much of an attacking brand as much as the Irish. So we're going to get a lot more opportunities to be able to put uh, defensive pressure on them, you'd like to think. And we're going to be able to to be able to attack a lot more through that through their DNA of them kicking a lot more. And when they do play, it's inside the 22 meter zone. So that's the reason why I'm backing the All Blacks. I just don't think the South Africans will offer as much the attacking um, clinicalness and being able to be um, as much animation as the Irish have. So that's why I'm, I'm picking the, um, the All Blacks. And I don't think just because we've got a lot of South African viewers, it's about South Africa. Not I, I don't think there's many sides in world rugby that can compete with that level of attack that Ireland have shown for a long period of time. Maybe, you know, the French, when they're on, they're on. Um, but they can have dips as well, whereas the Irish are quite consistent in the style and the way they play. Mm. Well, there's a lot on the line. It's a hell of weekend. a tip of the cap to the Irish. It is a hell of a tip of the cap to the Irish. When you look at this weekend and you consider what we've just said, you consider the fact that the All Blacks coach's job is on the line. There is a whole heap on this, and I'm not saying there's not on the Springboks coaches because... I'm sure they copped a lot of flack for changing a complete team between the first and second test. But, boy, this game has got stuff on it, whether it's Ian Foster or the future of Scott Robertson. There's a lot of parties here that are connected to if the All Blacks win 2-0 in this series. It's crazy, and it's going to be a good watch. It's going to be a good watch. Up at three in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what time it is in Japan um, when these things happen. Bren, have you set your clock? Do you have access? It'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be midnight. It'll be midnight our time. So perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Not, not too late. A couple of asahis, you know, some karaoke chicken from the local 7-Eleven and you'll be set. Happy days. Probably a Probably a Powerade, mate, for recovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. <laughs> I hope Yamaha are sponsored by them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know. I don't, I don't even think there's Powerade over here. So. Pakari Sweat. Pakari Sweat, I think, is the go-to electrolyte in Japan. What, what was that, Ross? Pakari Sweat. P-O-C-A-R-I Sweat. Okay. Um, 
You can send money to us, Bakari Sweat. We'll <laughs> all over the place. I'll, I'll be sure to get 24 dozen. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brenna. Great to have you coming in from Japan. Thanks again, James, and thank you all for watching. Can't wait to talk next week about whatever happens this weekend when the All Blacks play the Springboks with so much on the line. Matewa. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.